Have you ever had an itch that you just couldn't scratch? Episode 10 of Prelude to a Scream is kind of like that, because it's a story about a phantom itch. Silent screams bounce around my head like an impending storm, brewing into a force that will escape in a wild dance of chaos and be lost forever, if I don't stop to write them down. Hello, and welcome to Prelude to a Scream, podcast fiction by Mark Leslie. This is episode 10. They said we'd never get to 10 episodes. Who's they? I don't know, because I'm not sure if there's any listeners out there. So this is a bit of an invite. If you are listening to Prelude to a Scream and you have any comments, any whatsoever, please feel free to email me, mark at marklesley.ca. Would love to hear from you. The blog for this podcast is at preludetoascream.blogspot.com. Feel free to leave a comment there if you prefer. In any case, thank you so much for listening. Let's get on to the fiction, which is a short story called Phantom Mitch. Phantom Mitch by Mark Leslie Even though he no longer had his left arm, Barry could still feel an itch between the thumb and index finger of his non-existent left hand. I believe they call it the phantom itch. But that was only the beginning. Sometimes Barry would lie in bed, still half asleep, and feel a hand take his phantom left one and hold it reassuringly. He'd sit up and sense some sort of presence in the room with him, but the feeling would quickly fade. That, more than the itch, was making him crazy. If only he could touch her back. Her? Did I say her? Then I'd better explain. The presence Barry felt was that of his recently departed wife, Michelle, known as Mitch to Barry and close friends like me. He was sure it was her. And if I was willing to believe that he experienced a phantom itch, as well as some sort of phantom hand touching his, why shouldn't I believe that he somehow knew it was the phantom hand of his dead wife? I'd been distressed when news of Barry's accident came. It hadn't come as a shock, though. Despite his generosity and his friendly manner, he'd had a problem with alcohol. Barry liked his job and loved his wife, but he cherished his scotch. Barry had been drinking, as usual, and driving. He'd left the party a happy drunk, as was typical for him. Even though he drank excessively on social occasions, he was still retained a pleasant disposition. Perhaps that was why we never actively encouraged him to seek help. He wasn't an annoying drunk, nor did his problem seem to impinge on his life. He had still continued to lead a successful career, keep his loving wife, and maintain active social relationships. No, his drinking hadn't been a problem. It hadn't been, until that night when he left the party a happy drunk, and ended up at the bottom of a canyon, pinned inside a twisted steel hulk which used to be his Cadillac. The loss he'd experienced from the accident was tragic. Not only had he lost his left eye, his entire left arm, and the ability to move his legs, but he also lost his wife. "'It's Mitch, you know,' Barry said to me one day as I sat beside his bed. "'I can tell that it's her hand holding mine. You know how? There was a scar on her palm, about an inch long, where she'd sliced it open 
on a broken pane of glass in her grandfather's barn when she was twelve. And when that phantom hand touches mine, I can feel that scar, and I know it's her. Each time she holds my hand, it lasts longer, and it's beginning to feel more physical, more solid. It's as if I'm starting to really connect with Mitch, because now I'm able to squeeze back. Yeah, slowly I'm learning how to move and control my phantom hand. And sometimes I think that she's trying to talk to me, but I can't hear her, because I still have both my ears, you know. It's like I can only censor with my hand, because I don't have it anymore. By that time, I'd consider giving up on Barry. Okay, experiencing a phantom itch was easy to believe. So was holding the phantom hand of his dead wife. In a sense, it was a touching, romantic notion, a tasty morsel for the mind to snack on. But to actually believe that somehow Mitch was in a phantom world parallel to our own, trying to communicate with him, well, that was a tougher bit of me to chew, never mind swallow. Despite my hesitation to believe, I didn't give up on Barry. I still visited him, at least once a week. I'd been the best man at his wedding, and for years his closest friend. I know he'd have done the same for me had I been in his position, so I couldn't let him down. The next time I saw him, he updated me on his phantom encounters with Mitch. I felt her breasts. Barry smiled up at the ceiling as he relayed the events of the night before. It started off with the usual thing, you know. I could feel her hand touching mine, and I squeezed back. But then, her hand slipped out of mine. I, I thought that she was gone again when I felt a soft mound of flesh, her bare breast, in my palm. My thumb rolled across the nipple, and I felt it respond to my touch. She shifted and let me feel the other one. I began to cry. God, it had been so long since I touched her. His encounters, or his hallucinations, or whatever you want to call them, were beginning to get more vivid, and with that, more erotic. He'd described them as soon as I arrived, and after a while, it was the only thing we talked about. Okay, so I had trouble believing some of the things he had said. But his stories intrigued me, and soon enough I was visiting him every single day. He'd progressed from feeling her breasts to other sexual activities. After a while, they'd done everything a man and woman could do together with the one appendage he had available in that phantom world. She'd let him caress her entire body, except for her face, he told me. She'd never been an oral woman anyway, he said, so he didn't particularly miss the feel of her lips. And for as long as I'd known him, Barry had never been turned on by a woman's hair, and Mitch had known that. So she'd offered up her body instead, letting him explore what she always knew he was interested in. Then one day, Barry said, I wish I could make love to her. And I knew what that meant. If I tried to do it myself, I'd probably pass out before I could finish, he said, trying to win me over with brutal logic. So, will you do it for me? I refused. I couldn't dismember my friend. It was tough enough just trying to imagine taking a blade and hacking off his penis. It was a ludicrous idea. How would I explain it to the nurse? 
I pictured myself standing over the bed with Barry's severed penis in my hand and blood spurting from his body. A nurse walks in, and I politely ask her the best way to stop the bleeding. I don't think so. The next few times I visited him after that, we argued about it. But after a while, he seemed to give up on the idea and went back to describing his latest encounter with Mitch. And soon enough, more interesting things developed. If I close my right eye, Barry said, I can just barely make out her shape using the phantom sight of my left one. It's very fuzzy and unclear, but it's getting better every time. Every night when she returns, her image comes into focus just a little bit more. It's like the hand. The more I use it, the better it gets. Pretty soon I'll be able to see her. I left the hospital that day, excited with the idea that soon he'd have another sensory input into this phantom world. I know, I know. I'd started off a non-believer. But when you think about the possibilities of what Barry claimed he could do, doesn't it make you stop and think? Maybe this is proof of an existence beyond death. And if there is... Did Barry discover a way for the living to reach into it? I wanted to tell someone, but who would believe it? I also briefly considered removing one of my own hands to see what I could discover for myself in this phantom plane, but it was only a momentary thought, and on a level far removed from possibility. I'd look at the axe, then at my wrist, and somewhere tucked away deep in my mind I could imagine myself reaching for it. Anyway, I couldn't tell anyone, and I didn't have the guts or the stupidity, it depends on how you look at it, to try it myself. So I'd have to go on exploring this new world through Barry, and hope that would be enough. And it was enough, until yesterday. Apparently, Barry had killed himself during the night. It was a quiet, peaceful death, they said. He'd overdosed on a handful of painkillers which he must have been saving up for weeks. Had he been saving them so he could go through with his plans of dismemberment? I often wondered about that. I was given a box of his personal items since he had no family, and I was his closest friend. I returned home, filled a tall glass with Glenfiddich, and drank in memory of Barry as I gazed through what was left of his life. A hairbrush, a photo of Barry and Mitch, taken at the Grand Canyon, I think. A toothbrush, a pack of well-worn playing cards with rounded edges. Then I discovered a sealed envelope with my name on it. I opened it and removed a single sheet of paper. It was dated the night he had died. Goodbye, my friend, it read. Thank you for sticking around, for listening to me. But I'd like to thank you especially for refusing my idiotic request. I don't think I'd been able to hold out this long, long enough to write this letter to you, if I'd gone through with it. I saw Mitch tonight, finally. But it wasn't what I'd hoped it would be. I can't describe the burning in my heart when I saw what had become of her. I know there's an existence beyond ours, because I've touched a part of it. But I didn't know that when you die, you carry over certain things. Things pertaining to your death. I'd yearned for so long to see her again. And when I finally did, I just couldn't deal with it. I'm hoping that passing completely into death completely into Mitch's world will make me better able to handle this. Maybe then I wouldn't care anymore. Maybe then I could make love to her without this feeling of dread. Maybe in death I'll be more accepting. 
So goodbye, my friend. Wish me luck. I crumpled the letter and downed the scotch in one gulp. Then I refilled the glass to do it again. But my stomach heaved and I had to run to the toilet. The cold, wet porcelain felt good as I knelt there, staring at nothing, the bitter scent and taste of bile strong in my nostrils and on my tongue. I find myself returning to that stance whenever I think about it. Barry said that you carried certain things into the other world with you, things pertaining to your death. There was only one thing he could have meant by that. In the accident, Mitch had been beheaded. That was Phantom Mitch, which was first published in the magazine Wicked Mystic Number 22, which appeared in October 1993. The story went on to receive honorable mention in the year's Best Fantasy and Horror Number 7, edited by Ellen Datlow and Terry Windling. Um, this was really exciting for me. I, I got a short typewritten note um, in my self-addressed envelope from Ellen Datlow, and it basically said... Um, Phantom Mitch made her Wrecklist for 1993. I had no idea what the Wrecklist was, but I was quite thrilled when the book came out, and there was my name in the honorable mention list, and one of the other thrills uh, I was quite delighted with was I uh, appeared on the same page as Richard Lehman, who uh, was one of my favorite authors, so that was quite a thrill there. The story Phantom Mitch... The basic concept came to me that I wanted to write about the idea of a phantom itch and a phantom limb, and uh, I wondered if the limb existed in the afterlife or, or had some sort of other existence, and I always wondered the concept of where did the itch come from? Does that mean that it actually exists somewhere? So I had some fun with that, and when I originally wrote the story... Um, Barry's wife was attempting to seek vengeance on him, and uh, my first run through or my first draft of the story, she was uh, evil and was coming to get him, and Barry was trying to escape from her uh, and couldn't. And, and the story was called Phantom Bitch because I like play on words; it's a lot of fun. Um, I didn't I didn't like that version of the story so much. I wanted it to be more of a love story. I wanted it to be Barry missing his wife, regretting the fact that she had died in the accident and wanting to be with her again, longing so hard, having that that touch, having having that ability to reach out and contact her and make him miss her, miss her that much more. Um, so I, I really wanted it to be a, a love story. So um, I changed the name of Barry's wife into Michelle because um, uh, I had a friend named Michelle in high school and her nickname was Mitch and I thought this worked out quite perfectly. So uh, it became Phantom Mitch, which of course is a way better play on words with the concept of Phantom Itch. Uh, so I had a good time with that. Uh, this is a fun story for me uh, when I think back to it. It was one of my shorter stories that I've received some really good feedback on, and I'm quite delighted with it. I think I'm most delighted whenever I can take a concept that intrigues me 
basically uh, it'll sit around for a little while with some notes that I've jotted down I kick it around for a little while and then I just start to apply it uh, and and that's really my favorite kind of writing my favorite kind of writing is a what-if scenario um, maybe something that I want to explore I, uh, I throw it down there and I have a good time with that um, that's probably one of the more satisfying aspects of writing I mean, it's also satisfying uh, to hear from readers who've actually enjoyed the story, but it really is satisfying when you have a concept that you've been kicking around and you're able to just uh, come up with something that actually intrigues you enough to want to tell the story and, and, and the characters may grow out of the situation, the situation may grow out of the characters, it's sometimes a little bit of both. And uh, and at the end of it, after you've written and rewritten and rewritten the story uh, a half dozen times, uh, you know that's usually the point where I get to where I can feel satisfied that I'm telling the kind of story that I would like to read. So that being said, uh, at the beginning of the podcast, I did mention uh, I'd love to hear from listeners to the podcast. If there happen to be any listeners out there who have any questions about my writing or about why I'm doing the podcast, or or anything in general, I would love to answer them. So please feel free to email them to me at mark at marklesley.ca. You can drop them on the blog. You can do it on my regular blog uh, at um, marklesley.blogspot.com or on this blog where the podcasts are are archived, um, prelude2ascream.blogspot.com. I'd love to answer some questions, uh, get a little bit of interaction. Um, if so be it, if you want to email me, um, we can maybe arrange for me to record uh, record an audio. Don't have anything as sophisticated as uh, a way for you to, uh, unless you want to record an audio clip and just email it to me. But in any case, I'd love to add a little bit of interaction to that. And, uh, and if there are listeners out there who have any questions, I'm more than uh, willing to answer them to the best of my ability. Uh, I'm having fun putting my fiction into podcast form. It has been an experiment for me. I've reached 10 episodes. Uh, It took a little while, although the last four episodes or so have been uh, relatively consistent in terms of putting one out a month. And I want to maintain that uh, schedule from this point on. I want to continue to go through the... um, uh, the the podcasting uh, at the very least of some stories that I've had uh, published uh, I, I may not go so far as putting out stories that haven't been printed or published yet uh, but I'm definitely going to take stories that I've had published and allow people to experience them in this audio format uh, it's just, a, it's just a, a lot of fun for me I should also mention of course because this is all about self-promotion, is that um, Phantom Mitch also appears in my book One Hand Screaming. One Hand Screaming is available uh, far and wide because it's distributed through Ingram. It is usually available for somewhere in the range of eleven ninety-five to twelve ninety-five U.S. Uh, if you like the story, you like the some of the stories that you've heard in the podcast here, you may want to check it out. You don't have to. You can just enjoy the audio, and and that's it. Um, But if you do want to support me, and you like this story, feel free to go to places like goodreads.com or amazon.com or chapters.indigo.ca and leave a comment about how much you like my writing. Um, Maybe it just uh, helps uh, encourage someone else to check me out. Um, Maybe somebody who's not interested in listening to a podcast, but would rather read it. 
So I'm getting close to the 20-minute mark now, and though I could babble on and on and on, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to thank you for listening. I am going to wish you well, and again, encourage anyone to um, send me a quick email, mark at marklesley.ca. Would definitely love to hear from you, if there happen to be any of you out there listening. Anyways, take care, and we'll see you in episode 11. You've been listening to Prelude to a Scream, podcast fiction by Mark Leslie. This podcast has been released under a Creative Commons 2.0 non-commercial, no derivatives license, which basically means feel free to copy it as many times as you want and give it to as many thousands of people you can. Music has been provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful day.